Ben, if I wanted to hear a podcast between you and Justin Koo talking about life, love, and other mysteries, where would I go to find this podcast? You would definitely go first to the internet. If you don't know how to use the internet, you'd open your web browser, Google Chrome, uh-huh. Mozilla Google Firefox, Chrome? something of that sort. Safari? And then you would go to Justin Koo's Instagram, which is at jkoo. And then there's a link... <laughs> I don't know, I think. That's probably the worst way to find the podcast, I would imagine. Like, you could do that on your phone, Oh, right? Yeah. These people are never going to find the podcast, and that's cool because that means you probably won't get canceled because no one's going to listen. <laughs> it's crazy is that th- all three of us do podcasts and we can't figure out what to say. Well, hey guys, this has been very helpful. I'm excited <laughs> to, to, to listen to the Dusty Boys podcast. Count me in. Welcome back to The Move, where we're vibing through the book 10 minutes at a time. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and in today's episode, we're talking about that one time in the Bible where Lot tries to pimp out his two virgin daughters to the men of Sodom. If you're wondering what in the world that we're talking about, we're looking at Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 11. My guest for today's episode is the one and the only Pastor Kessia Rain Bennett. Um, you know, one of the things I love about this show is the opportunity to look at one of the narratives of Scripture and then to reflect about how good God is and how amazing and beautiful and transformative the gospel is and this is one of those stories where i'm like i don't quite see it sometimes it's easier than other stories right like you know when we get to the story of you know abraham sacrificing his son like there's like some really obvious like hey this is gonna you know talk about you know this is gonna reflect some aspect of the sacrifice of jesus and I, when i read the story it, it i mean it's just bizarre it's just literally there's people coming to the house there's visitations of angels and the men of sodom are like yo we want to have sex with them and it's like oh Okay, that's already weird enough. And then Lot's response, which is like, hey, I got two daughters instead. You can go and do whatever you want with them. It's like, okay, um, where's the gospel here? What's the point of this story? Like, this is just so bizarre. And so I know that this chapter actually develops into kind of some other important themes later in the chapter. But I wanted to pause today and just kind of reflect on this fact that Lot is literally pimping out his daughters to some like wicked men. This is just so bizarre. I don't understand where to start with this. Like, what is happening here? If you can, is there a context that makes this more acceptable or like just what is going on? Yeah, I want to say if this story offends you, startles you, could we even use the word aghast? <laughs> yes. Then you have read it the correct way. Okay, so there's not like, it's not like I just missed something because I don't understand Hebrew where it's like, actually, what's really happening is really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, no. what, 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 what it seems like is happening is actually happening. Yeah, that's right. And I okay. sometimes I think this is a really good opportunity to remember or hear for the first time that just because something's in the Bible doesn't mm. mean it gets like God's seal of approval. Right. And so I do... I do think this gives us an opportunity to recognize that because, you know, you want to, if you're not very familiar with the Bible, maybe this is your first time listening to, hearing, becoming familiar with these stories in Genesis. You might have had a view of the Bible as a lot more clean, righteous, uh, quote unquote, pure, or just Mm. nice. And that's not the case. You know, if, if your idea of the Bible is like Jesus on the mountainside giving his teachings, Happy to tell you that is in fact there, but there's so much else in the Bible. And so this is a good reminder just to say, just because the Bible records something happening 
doesn't mean that God's like, I give this a thumbs up. Mm. In fact, what we see in Genesis 19, the what all the stuff that happens in Sodom uh, here with Lot and the angels and the visitors and the and the citizens and and his daughters and all of that, the point of it is to be uh, so it, it's to put on display the rep- the repulsiveness and wickedness of sin. Yeah. It, it's to show us <laughs> the badness of bad. Absolutely. And and I get that. And I think it's one thing to, I, I think most of us, when we're reading through the passage, we're like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of evil and wicked things that are happening. But I think one of the layers that makes this even more complicated is this is the guy that God saves. Like, this isn't like, like if I were to think back to the flood story, for example, and, and you know, the Bible talks about how the thoughts of men were evil continuously. And then they share a story like this. It's like, okay, no, I, I get it. I get why judgment is important. If this is the social norm, of all the society and this is just kind of what's happening all the time it's like yeah we need judgment here there there is a need to kind of reset the balances this is a good thing but the part of it that's weird is that this is the guy that god's working through this is his guy like i mean there there have already been several miracle stories of god kind of preserving this family and making things work out and so it's it's just it's just bizarre to see the quote-unquote good guy doing this it would just make a lot of sense if it was the villain because that's what you would expect but so this this just flips so many of the paradigms on its head where it's like and later this chapter they're being saved the guy who offers his daughters up is the one who's being rescued from judgment yeah so the question we have to ask is i mean the question we do ask is did he deserve rescue Mm -hmm. and you're right if we think about lot as the hero as the good guy then this whole thing is really like, but how could he? And then if, and then he did what? And God did how? And it, it's like, it doesn't even make any moral sense to us. Right. right. And so I, there is a part of the human heart and scripture talks about this, especially in, in certain books, but there is a part of the human heart that, that longs for really clear, clean, consistent, uh, moral action relates to, uh, physical consequence, mm-hmm. you know, like if you are a thief, like you do not prosper, but right. then we actually look at the world and we're like, yeah, thieves and swindlers like rise to the highest offices of the land and like are super wealthy mm-hmm. and exploit people for, like in ways that, you know, economic systems in the past couldn't have even conceived of. So like, okay, well that's not working out. Or like good people who serve their neighbors and love their families would prosper and be in health. And instead like that young mother gets breast cancer and dies in a few months' time and everyone's devastated. Mm. It's like, mm-hmm. man, there is a part of us that just chafes against that. We want do good action, receive good consequence. Do bad action, receive bad consequence. Now, of course, I think this is in conflict actually with the kinds of people we are and the kinds of people every other person is. <laughs> we are not the clear-cut moral characters that would really fit neatly into that kind of system. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we find ourselves on the wrong side of the equation all too often. Yeah, we're complicated and so is everyone else. And so imagine what your life, Justin, would have been like if every time you made a bad moral action, there was a bad consequence for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hear that. And there, there have been things where I'm not very proud of and there have been consequences to those things. But 
I, I don't know that I've ever gone as far as trying to sell my family into the sex trade. Like, that's just, I feel like, like, I, I get the concept, right? Like the idea that, you know, we say this in the church, that all sin is sin in God's eyes, that, you know, everything is good. Like, we, we, we hear, you know, Jesus say things like, if you've even looked at a woman with lust or with lustful intentions, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. And there's this, there's this real sense in which, like, sin at any level is, 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 really bad it's detrimental it's all the negative you know adjectives here and yet this feels like it's categorically different yeah so like i i hear what you're saying like yes we should read into the story like we are also in some hopefully much lesser degree we are the lot of the story in the sense that like we are undeserving of of redemption we have fallen short like i i, I get all those elements but this just feels like it's to the nth degree yeah how could stealing a snickers bar from a 7-eleven be equal <laughs> yeah. to being like please rape my daughters right that's just or two of them like it's not even just one there's two of them now Yeah, absolutely insane and i again i want to say that that is the point the point is to press mm. us to ask is lot the hero the answer is no mm. Okay, so if Lot's not the hero, then then who's the hero here? Only one person, and that's Yahweh. Only the uh -huh. Lord is the hero. And and beside mm. him, standing beside him, Abraham. So this story's mm. book ended, you'll remember, in chapter 18. Um, God talks to Abraham and lets him know, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, I'm going to go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. Ah. And so God brings us up to Abraham and you remember Abraham and God mm -hmm. have this conversation, which is just mind blowing that God is that kind of yeah. God, but mm -hmm. he gets at the end of chapter 18, right before we pick up the story. Um, he says, what if 10 righteous people can be found there? And God says, for the sake mm -hmm. of 10 righteous people, I will not destroy the city. When the Lord mm -hmm. had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. So, this is where this is where it stops, where God invited Abraham into this knowledge and into this conversation, something that kind of looks like a negotiation. God invites Abraham to be an intercessor. And he basically mm -hmm. says, yeah, if there are 10 righteous people in the city, I will not destroy the city. So here's a quick question, a little, little Bible true and false. Did God destroy the city, Justin? I, I feel like the answer is yes, yes, but it also feels like a trick question. Okay, trick so question. good. The answer, yeah. the answer, <laughs> the answer, the answer is, yes. is yes. And because he could not even find 10 righteous people in it. Mm. I think the one of the geniuses of Genesis 19 and telling us the story is we don't know how many righteous people were in it. Maybe none. Right. Because we have that the wife who longs to go back and gets turned mm -hmm. into pillar of salt. We have later in chapter 19 where Lot's daughters basically rape him in a weird yeah. turn of events, in this incestuous yep. whole situation, they don't seem very righteous. And then we have Lot mm. himself who is extending amazing wow. hospitality. That is that is fantastic. And yet he is not a morally pure character. Not only, hmm. uh, not only because of how he's treating his daughters, although we rightly understand that to be the most grievous thing, but the, throughout mm -hmm. the narrative, the angels are like begging him to please leave. Like he is not right. like, oh, I hear it. Like, let's go. I'm all packed up. He's he's reluctant. He's lingering. Mm -hmm. He's offering his daughter. So he is not himself this morally pure character. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. is so, there any no, that, right when when God looks down on the earth, will he find faith of any kind? 
Right. And, and, and that background, that context, I guess that makes a lot more sense in that the idea is, like, hey, there's 50, there's 45, there's 30, there's 20, there's 10. Actually, no, there's not even 10. There's not even the, the three or the four that end up leaving the city. Like, yeah, I think that the point, if the point is that actually there's zero, like, okay, cool, point received. Like, it acts, it absolutely makes sense that, yeah, there's none. There's not even one in this city, I, for sure. I think the Bible actually goes farther to clarify for us that Lot was not saved because he was a good person. Because hmm. in at the very end of this chapter, and we'll talk about this in a few days here, when God actually destroys the cities of the plain in Genesis 19, verse 29, it says, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. He makes it huh. clear that he actually saved Lot for Abraham's sake. So he, wow. he invites Abraham to be an intercessor so he can answer Abraham's prayer and save Lot, wow. not because he's a hero, not because he's a righteous man, but the, the narrative will go to show us in spite of him and even use the word mercy, like wow. God was merciful. Okay, so okay now to kind of to my earlier kind of foundational like how I was setting the table for us for this episode. Like this is actually starting to sound like the gospel that there is none righteous, not even one, and yet through the through the honoring of the intercessor, people are redeemed even though they don't deserve it. Yep, that's what I'm hearing right now. Wow, and and notice in the context of the gospel too, we can see how it we can see how it plays out in Genesis 19, and then we can see how it plays on the bigger stage of cosmic history in Christ, which is that the, God does not spare Lot against God's own will. Like God is like, mm. ugh, this guy can't stand yes. him, but yeah. fine for your sake. You know, God invites, like he wants to save as many people huh. as possible. And through the whole narrative, especially the section we're focusing on today, verses one through 11, um, you just see how even against Lot's resistance, the angels are literally like dragging him around. <laughs> like, please right, let us right, save right. Please let us save you. Please, let... we see what huh. kind of savior God is, which is He will not spare anything to save as many people as possible. Our God is wow. not a reluctant savior. He is over. He is more eager to save us than we, than are. we are to be saved. Wow. Okay. Because because that's I, I mean this is blowing my mind. This is this is the follow up question. Then it's like, well, would God have saved if Abraham didn't intercede? And I think that what you're you're describing with the angels like literally physically grabbing people and pulling them out of the city is like absolutely God's heart is that He wants to save as many as who are willing. And it just so happens to be the case that in Sodom, like out of however many there were, out of the zero righteous, like these were the only ones who would even be willing to kind of be saved in in this in this weird way. That's that's incredible. That, I mean, that's, it's a, it's, I mean, I guess I kind of get it in the sense that like, how hard is it to, to convince someone of God's goodness sometimes? Like I I think about the times where I've like, I have a friend or a family member who's a bit on the fence or they're maybe kind of asking all the big questions and, and you want to share the the gospel with them. And it just seems like there's a certain level of stiff, stiff nakedness. Is that, is that a way to say that? Like, is that the idea I'm trying to communicate? Like where they hear it and they're just like, nah, nah, nah. Like, and it just seems like they're rejecting things flat out. Like it's sometimes it is difficult to break through a, a stony heart. It is difficult to break through a stony heart. Even, I mean, you'll talk about this with Tyler, but even Lot trying to talk to his son and sons-in-law and they're like, you're kidding. Like, no, Mm. like the message of salvation to them was a joke. Like, nah, Mm. you know, and no one's heart 
is more affected by this or invested in this than God's own heart. Mm. Yeah. And if we don't see it written so clearly in Genesis 19, I think it I think all the pieces are there, but if it's not clear enough to convince us, we go to the life of Christ and we see right. what God did in Jesus and it could not be clearer. Yeah. It, it it makes me think of Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23 and I'm googling this so I'm not I'm not just recalling this off the top of my head so if anyone's listening you're like man that's really good. <laughs> I googled it. Uh Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23 says do and this is God speaking, do I take any pleasure in the mm-hmm. death of the wicked declares the Lord God, wouldn't I prefer that he turn from his ways and lives. And so like here what's being highlighted is the very heart of God, which is the thing that like I think stories like this if you're reading it in the the through the wrong lens, you're like I don't know, God seems kind of pissed off right now, mm-hmm. but we see over and over iterated actually from the mouth of God as well as through the life and actions of Jesus that no, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want a single person to perish and he's doing everything that he possibly can to redeem humanity, even to a certain level against their own will. Like he is that persistent. He is that consistent when it comes to pursuing the heart of, of his children. That's right. And you think of all the people who'd been praying, crying out to God as God reported, hey, I've been hearing an outcry mm. against Sodom because these people are so wicked. They continually are hurting their neighbors. And we'll talk in a later mm. episode about what was that hurt that they were inflicting on other people. Um, but God is hearing that. And I wonder if the people who were praying that were wondering, why was God so slow to do anything about it? And the Bible tells us that too in Second Peter 3, 9, that God is not slow to keep his promise, as some mm. understand slowness, but he's patient. He doesn't want anyone mm. to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Mm. So God will come. Wow. He will investigate. He will judge. He will bring uh, destruction on those who would never be separated from their sin. But is God slow because he's just like busy? Like, sorry, I can't get to you right mm. now. Mm. Um, is mm. God you know, we struggle to know, is God being too merciful? Is he being too harsh? And Hmm. maybe those questions will always linger with us on the side of eternity. But when we Hmm. see the story in Sodom and Gomorrah and how God rescues Lot, just putting everything he can into it to get that guy out of the city and his family. um, And we see what he's done in Jesus. I think we see God's heart on display. Like, man, there is a mystery to justice and mercy but that mystery resides in the triune God of love. And ultimately we can Hmm. trust that. Wow. You know, I, uh, I'll confess I had, I had my doubts the beginning of this episode in in, in a narrative where a father is pimping out his two virgin daughters to wicked men. I, I I set the stage saying, is the gospel here? And I had a certain level of doubt that we would find it here, but I think we're stumbling across the heart of God, even in as bizarre a story as this. Here, here, <laughs> praise the Lord. So, ladies and maybe men, uh, we got something to talk about right now. And you're like, "What in the world are we talking about?" Well, okay, we want to talk about Bible journaling. I guess is kind of what it is. I don't know if you've ever been the journaling type. Um, I know that growing up in the Christian tradition, like there's this emphasis on journaling your experience with God. And I'll be honest, I've, I don't think I've ever really successfully done that. I've, I've probably started a dozen journals and fallen short every single time. I think I've made it to like January 3 is kind of maybe when I, I start to fall off when it comes to journaling. Um, but if you are the journaling type, or, or maybe if you want to be the journaling type, there's something that we want to talk to you about. Yes, I want to talk to you about these journals. They're called Write the Word. 
uh, journals, and they're put out by a brand called Cultivate What Matters. And so these Cultivate What Matters write the word journals. They've got a bunch of them, Cultivate Hope, Cultivate Faith, Joy, Peace, a bunch of ones like that. Uh, they even have some for kids. And let me tell you what I like about these is every single day, it's going to give you a space to write the date, um, give you one line to say something you're grateful for, and then it's going to give you a scripture. And so um, like this one that I wrote on January 21st is Isaiah 58, 11. And you basically just, it gives you space to write it out by hand. You're like, why would I do that? It's already written in the Bible. But something we've talked about, I know on the move several times is how do we actually slow down enough to read what the Bible says? Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. is one of those ways you actually slow down, you write it down and it kind of mm -hmm. connects your head and your hand and the text all together and then the back page just says on my heart today you can write one line or 20 and a word for the day and so the, mm. the thing I like about this Justin is if you're the kind of person like you obviously are no judgment they cannot make it past <laughs> January 3 part of the pressure on a journaling practice is like you do it you do it, you do it, you miss a day and then like you miss January 4 on January 5 you're like what I already missed today. What's the point? I already missed. There's a blank yeah. space in my journal. There's no point. Yeah, Give I it. don't like the blank. So <laughs> this one is like, you just do it at your own pace. You can take three years to fill it out if you want. It could be every Sunday morning. It could be whatever. And so for me, and I, I'm going to talk to people who maybe are in a season of life where you don't have a ton of time or brain power. So mm. this was me mm. just after I had my second baby working full time, writing a dissertation, my brain, oh, I had goodness. three brain cells left and I needed yeah. this to tell me what Bible verse to read, to write it down, to give me a little space to talk to God. And there was just no pressure. So I will say, and if you're on YouTube watching this, you can see that the aesthetic is on the feminine side. <laughs> yeah. So if this is not your aesthetic, I don't know. You can um, look for the one in I mean, there, blue or green. There's a couple other colors. There's <laughs> yellow and pink. But I, I mean, let's be real. This is definitely kind of marketed towards it the is. stereotypical feminine side. It is. Uh, which is why I said ladies, let's talk about this journaling. Guys, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if, if there's any guys out there who have a, a, an alternative, uh, maybe a little bit more of a masculine approach to the the kind of practice of journaling do let us know uh, maybe we'll give a shout out in a future yeah. episodes but i mean i i know for me even if i haven't been consistent in like the journaling aspect that there is something transformative of writing scripture out and kind of even translating it to your own context i know that that's something that we recommend as a practice especially when it comes to um really just allowing scripture to settle in your heart and to really be accessed from a place of faith what does it look like to write scripture out from like a first person perspective um that is definitely something that i have benefited from and so even if i haven't been consistent in maintaining a actual journal there is some absolutely something about kind of that practice of writing scripture out. There is something that happens uh, maybe in your heart as you're doing it. So uh, definitely in favor of this spiritual discipline, even if it's not something that I've successfully done for long stretches of time. Absolutely. And of course, you don't even need to buy a journal to do that. You can just mm -hmm. open the Bible and do it that way. So this is just if you need someone to tell you what verse and give you a specific space to do it, there you go. And it even works for people go. like Justin Koo, who can't make it past January 3.